This is Nick Hyam from thewholenessofexperience.com. You're listening to Potent Pointers from the Non-Duality Podcast. And here's Nisargadatta. I find that somehow, by shifting the focus of attention, I become the very thing I look at and experience the kind of consciousness it has. I become the inner witness of the thing. I call this capacity of entering other focal points of consciousness, love. You may give it any name you like. Since at any point of time and space, I can be both the subject and the object of experience. I express it by saying that I am both and neither and both and beyond both. And here's a quote by Yoneshwar. Strive to experience the sense of unity with all things. Feel yourself in the universe and the universe in you. I am telling you again and again, there is no greater experience than perfect oneness. It seems like a paradox. How can there be the, these, the diversity of expression and non-dual reality? Surely it has to be one or the other. How do I get to that non-dual state? How do I get there? We ask that as an individual, as part of this world of duality. I'm an individual set apart, lacking, insubstantial, desiring, fearing. How do I get to this pure state? How do I get there? What do I need to do or practice? What do I need to remove from my experience in order to see this, to recognize this? And coming from that position, that's all you experience because you are supposing you're believing that this isn't it, that this isn't the all already. Here's a quote by a student of Robert Adams, Andy Kincart, and this is an extract from a letter sent to Robert Adams, which he read out in a meeting. The self is being continually revealed as absolutely inescapable. This entire world of appearance is nothing but an expression of the self. Bondage or liberation, suffering or bliss, there is no distinction in the light of truth. Whether the body-mind is identified or not, it is still consciousness and nothing else. Consciousness is all there is. The form that it takes on in this incredibly diverse world is irrelevant. Exactly what does realization mean when everything is already the self. The self realizes itself in all forms of existence. This is not bypassing, this is going right into experience with the question, what is the nature of this experience? It is I am, it is you, it's existence. It's whatever you are, we call it lamps and chairs and tables and headaches whatever is present, it's the one presence appearing as different from itself. Like the lamp derives its presence from true presence. Presence provides a kind of support for the lamp object, without which it couldn't be. The lamp can't be present without deriving its presence from true presence, <laughs> which is an interesting one to explore. So anything you're experiencing is present. The conceptual appearance of I'm holding a remote control here for my TV. I call it a remote control, but that conceptual formation derives its reality from ultimate reality, derives its presence from ultimate presence. So reality, presence, whatever this is, is the is the very nature of what's here and is only what's here the ultimate nature of the remote control is what we're pointing to we're just calling it presence for now but the ultimate nature of presence is not a remote control so if you find an object where you are just let your eyes glance on an object notice the body as well which is kind of like another object you could say unless you personify it and call it my body. There's definitely something present. There's some isness. I mean, I can't 
to say thing doesn't seem quite right. There's an actuality there. I can take it apart and rip it up and smash the bulb and I, I wouldn't find the lamp anywhere. And I zero in to any part of that lamp, I don't find a lamp. So that its ultimate nature can't be a lamp. When I zoom into any aspect of this body, any portion of this um, thing I'm calling the body, I don't find a body. That can't be its ultimate nature. So there aren't two things here, because the ultimate nature of the lamp and the ultimate nature of the body is inconclusive. However, there is an isness. There's still an isness. Even when you recognise that, there's still an actuality. There's still a presence. There's two presences, right? <laughs> two presences. Makes no sense. Can you find the point where the body ends and the lamp, or whatever it is, begins? Can you find the end of the body's presence and the beginning of the lamp's presence? Do they have their own presences? Or is there just presence? A non-conceptual reality. So there's a positive affirmation of some isness, just one isness, one presence. Yeah, it's the immediate experience, like the immediacy of this moment, the fact that this is a like a river flow of experience and the body appears within that and the lamp appears within that and both are nameless. It's just here as one flow. So if I am then just there immediately with it and I just put aside my concepts and anything I've learned about lamps, about time and space, about bodies, and just feel directly into this direct experience in the immediacy of it, it's there in an obvious way, which can't be broken down and really spoken about very easily, but it's there, there's an obviousness, there's an obviousness to it. It's there in a way that doesn't, what you can't, yeah, you can't write in words, you can't write a, a thing about it and it makes sense, you can't break it down and intellectualize it. It's not a formula, it's just, it's simpler than all formulas. It's just here. And it's so, it is so bizarre as well when you start looking at the feeling of where the quote unquote body ends and where the lamp begins. If you drop body and if you drop lamp as ideas, as concepts, and you've a drop an idea of experience starting somewhere at a place called the body, it becomes much simpler and you just see in a very subtle way that's not a gap you need to bridge in some way. You know, there's no gap there's no gaps here. There's no it's it just it's just um an interpretation. It's an overlay that says there's gaps that need bridging. And it's innocent, you know, it that is seems to be how this world this Maya, quote unquote Maya, works. It's, it seem really seems like there's gaps separating everything when viewed through that particular lens of I am the body. But what if the body's already appearing within experience? It's something more primary than that. So I mean, if you just feel into your body, like with your eyes closed, and you just feel it, it's just you can't describe that. What you only can go, the only way you can describe what you're feeling right now, if you feel your body with your eyes closed, is to call it a body, is to go to the information you've quote unquote learned about what that is. But if you, if you go directly to the experience of it, it's, and I can't use anything I've learned previously. I can't use any words, any information I've gathered about it that anyone's told me about it or that I've, assumed to be true myself it's something else it doesn't fit within words and concepts and information you can't argue with reality basically <laughs> you can't argue with yourself you can try and the trying to do so is is the pain is the suffering the argument with reality creates the perception of duality saying this artificial no denies the fundamental yes the oneness of all the inclusion of all as well not the denial of expression but the inclusion of expression that is the fundamental yes that actually accommodates the artificial no as well in Dzogchen they have something called self-liberation 
which is the constant seeing of the perfection of it. And there's a relaxing into that fact. To what degree you can see that is how much this is felt and realized and enjoyed. And there's no resistance and there's no disallowing of of things. It's just everything is just perfectly what it is every moment. You have feelings in the body. So do nothing. Do absolutely nothing. So something arises, it's seen, it's noticed. That feeling is absolutely perfect. And it just arises and dissolves by itself. Just like passing weather, leaves in the breeze, whatever. Just arising, dissolves, just another little pattern of reality flowing through you. Adding techniques and things might be helpful at one time, but ultimately they may perpetuate what's here. Whereas this self-liberation aspect of Dzogchen just do absolutely nothing because in doing nothing about it, you are seeing that it's perfect in what it is. But of course, it can be nothing other than God manifest and flowing in and expressing. So if you can, just, just watch, just notice. This moment is already surrendered and that's the natural letting go. That is the, the true letting go is realizing that there's actually not only nothing to hold on to, because that's true, but there's no need either. The mind is an expert level film narrator. And so it's so good at narrating, you forget about what is actually going on in the film. <laughs> you forget about the energetic amazing richness of the film itself and you go straight to the, the narration and think that's the thing it's it's what the narration narrator is saying and you forget that the narrator is just making up a story but the feelings are always fresh all there is is this energy arising in the moment that you doesn't have any explanation with it it doesn't come with a a little title or little piece of text that says this is blah 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 it's actually just the energy. And even further, the narrator is just energy. All energetic occurrence of experience, of consciousness, of reality. The stories the mind tells are so compelling. They seem so real. They seem to point to something true. Yet they never are. They are only, at best, guesses. They're just guesses. They're just suggestions. You can see thoughts as suggestions. You don't have to follow them. You don't have to invest your focus, your energy in them. There's a, they're just suggestions. Take them, leave them. There is this ever fresh expression of life energy. And these expressions never arise with a description. They just don't. So if you can see the obvious indefinability of these ever fresh expressions, then that does so much of the work, so-called work. You realise, of course, none of these expressions are what the mind can say they are. They never can be the concepts. Concepts are just that, just conceptual. Everything is indefinable. The recognition of the indefinability of the nature of existence can bring about such a release, relief, relaxation. It's only, again, it's only noticing, only noticing what already is the case, what already is the nature of this, the indefinability, the malleability of this unmanifest life that you are showing yourself as this and this and this and this and this all of it all of it this one seamless totality and no map no concept will ever encapsulate what you really are and so at some point you you through the fertility of it you give that up you let it go and you cease trying to create a map of what you are and instead of knowing what you are you just am what you are 
<laughs> you're just being as opposed to knowing yes. or becoming knowledge. Actually, being and not and knowing is simil- is kind of the same thing. I would just say it never it never becomes knowledge, which is something of the past. There's a knowing, but never never knowledge. <laughs> In a way, everything reveals what you are because the, well, there are no things. There's only what you are. So those so-called things are only that too. So there's the revelation of self happening always. If anything, it's to notice the existing embrace of what is. That embrace is not the same as holding on, not the same as grasping. And the natural release is not the same as trying to let go. The natural embrace is like an unconditional yes to every artificial no. (laughs) The individual, the ego, is the no. And because it's an artificial no, it's an artificial ego. There was only the unconditional yes that embraces every expression of itself, every manifestation of itself. And those manifestations are not absolute. They're not anything separate from itself. They're just different ways of knowing itself, different flavors, different flavors of itself. So go with your resonance. What was that thing that sparked curiosity or interest or a sense of expansiveness when you came across the message of non-duality there was a resonance it wasn't just oh that that's something i want to learn that's something i want to take on as a belief there was a hint of knowing there was a hint of recognition in that resonance something resonated you read something you watched the youtube video and it sparked something just something what was it that resonance that's your homing beacon. It's showing you the way. So that homing beacon started to glow, started to radiate some kind of frequency. And there was this knowing there's something in this. You can't leave it alone. And that's the thing with non-duality. There's this recognition. But then you kind of overlook it. You kind of disregard it. And you focus on the finger that was pointing to the moon. You focus on the teacher or the teaching, not what the teaching was pointing to or what the teacher was pointing to. It was always, it was always the moon. It was always the moon of resonance. That was your guru. That was your teacher. So what was that? Just inquire. See if you can remember. What was it? That sense of this is right. This is home. This is real. Can you recollect that? If that resonance could speak, what would it say? For me, it was exactly that. It was, I know this. This is so familiar, so homely. I am home. Don't look anywhere else. Don't do anything else. Don't assert any effort. You're home. You already are present. You already are here. And you are what you're searching for. The very presence is what you're searching for. But you focus on the body rather than the body's presence. Or you focus on, you fixate on the teacher's, the teacher rather than the teacher's presence. And if you feel the presence of the teacher, the presence of the body, again, there's no separation. There aren't two presences. Your presence is the teacher's presence or your innate intelligence is the same as the teacher's innate intelligence. A teacher can only present interpretations of reality. Sometimes we elevate teachers to the level of of a god or that they sit beside God somehow and that they're the mouthpiece of truth. But they're not. The mouthpiece of truth is your felt resonance. And it's always calling you. It's always calling you to the home you've never left. So heed that resonance. If it wanted just joy and just bliss and just ecstasy, it wouldn't have manifested into this very, very dense experience of human expression. It wouldn't have manifested that, expressed as that. It just, if that's all it wanted, this is clearly an exploration of itself in all of its forms and 
you can notice that at any point. So you can change the perspective on this. You can just be going through some serious pain. There's something in you that will just look at that pain and just go, wow, there's something incredibly rich and beautiful here. And it, that isn't an intellectual thing. Because intellectually, you'd look at it and go, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, I want this gone. You know, always the position of the ego or the mind will always want it gone. But reality sees everything as equally, equally um, worthy, equally rich. So, I mean, if you can see in the depths of pain, if you can really be with that and really feel into it, there's something there and it can't really be put into words. If you, if you're with it like from that perspective as as reality if you're not just letting the mind just tell you it's shit <laughs> if you're just with it there's something there that you just go i wouldn't change this this is something this is inherently worthwhile to keep it simple as nisargadatta said and i think you were referring to this quote a moment ago he said my guru ordered me to attend to the sense i am and to give attention to nothing else. I just obeyed. I did not follow any particular course of breathing or meditation or study of scriptures. Whatever happened, I would turn away my attention from it and remain with the sense I am. It may look too simple, even crude. The reason he puts so much emphasis on I am is that it's fundamental. He described it as the, the catalyst for creation, for manifestation. It's the first identity to arise and the last to drop. And you can experience this for yourself in a very simple way. You wake up in the morning and there will be this spark of consciousness. And then with that, the thought process starts, the identity starts. The imagining begins going into the future, remembering the past. It all transpires from this initial catalytic beingness. Now, prior to that spark of consciousness, there was no consciousness. Just the emptiness of Nirguna Brahman without attributes. It just is. If anything, it's only to recognize it. And this is why Nisargadatta says, just attend to the sense I am because if you're going to find the answer to who am I it's going to be in that but don't remain on any level not even the I am he says don't even stay with the the I am because that is still subtly conceptual so he says go into the I am and then go beyond to whatever extent you can in this moment relax trust these words for all as well just maybe today you don't feel like inquiring and looking at your experience in some detailed way and that's fine if you can just let it all fucking go because it's so pointless holding on to this stuff try and improve ourselves try and go back into our past dig it up try and change all these things maybe if i do this better and that better that's all beautiful and that is in its own way undoing these knots but if you can just have faith in some way that this is all taken care of it all is perfect and all is absolutely well beyond all imagination let love rush in let it just rush into your being and completely expose every little part of you that you've put in darkness that you thought was somehow wrong and you'll find there was nothing ever wrong years ago i asked the spiritual teacher how do i let go and he replied just don't try to hold on even when you're trying to let go, you're still holding on and it's futile. Alan Watts said, the disappearance of the effort to let go is precisely the disappearance of the separate thinker of the ego. Now there is nothing to try to do for whatever comes up moment by moment is accepted, including not accepting. Notice that what you are prior to identity, call it awareness or consciousness or nothing at all, is both the boundless capacity for what is and the effortless release of what is. And this is the natural letting go, the letting go built into reality. 
into you because you are reality. You're not a contracted ego that has to try to manipulate reality. You are reality itself. And so there's the possibility of simply tuning into this fat, which may seem like aligning with truth, but really you are truth. Whether you seem to be caught in the tension of holding on or relaxed in the natural peace of what you are, where your every manifestation is accepted, allowed and embraced. There is no separate individual that grasps or relinquishes. Because what we often think of as ourselves is a bundle of experiences characterised by desire, clinging and fear, aversion. And that pseudo-self can't let go of anything, at least not itself. It has no autonomy because it is an experience. It's not an experiencer. It's not a doer. It's the experience of doing. And you are the ultimate experiencer. But this isn't a state of powerlessness, you know, because you're not an individual who has to just give up surrender. You are the all-powerful, supreme soul. Beyond time, space, causation, you defy description, yet you are the substratum behind creation, the uncreated, infinite, transcendent, yet all-embracing and permeating principle. So don't try to let go. See that you don't hold on. See that manifestations arise and dissolve naturally, like transient waves in the eternal ocean of self that you are. You're used to believing that you exist as a body-mind, believing that you exist as an individual, as a person. But I'm talking about existence itself, not qualified existence. And talking about I amness itself, not characterized, not qualified I amness. I am this person, I am that person. It's the the raw immediacy and intimacy of that warmth of consciousness. You are that beyond any words. So you are the I am beyond words. If you're sitting down on a chair now and you feel the chair, look past the word chair and feel lonely. Feeling is another word for noticing. Notice the sensation. Be aware of the sensation. Feel the sensation. It implies the same. Feel it. There's not the feeling and the sensation. There is only sensing. It's one. It's not a you and the chair. There's just sensing, which is another word for awareness. You can't find a place where you end and the chair begins or you're feeling, you're sensing, you're experiencing ends and that which you're experiencing begins. There's just one knowingness. There is nothing lacking. If you feel you're lacking something, you're experiencing the presence of a feeling. So it's more like a positivity. There's a presence of something. It never is about attaining anything. It's about questioning the belief that you're lacking anything. When that falls away, it's not that you've attained a new state. It's just that you've let go of the attempt to reach a new one. And then that experientially feels like relief, feels like relaxation, feels like peace, feels like contentment. As we use language in, in non-duality circles, where we can't be in relationship, that's the realm of concepts. The idea of relationship is a concept. And the idea of not being in relationship is a concept. The idea of I, of even that there could be a who or a what, are concepts. And so as we make the distinction between what's conceptual and non-conceptual. Or in sociology, they would say the difference between nature and culture. 
the difference between what doesn't change and what comes and goes. As we make those distinctions, we can see what was created by a conditioned mind and not fight it or think that it's wrong, but just see it as such. Oh, there's a concept that comes from language or comes from conditioning. But what is it that's unconditioned? What is it that's ever-present? What is it that's completely natural, effortless? No effort or striving or trying of any kind. Just here, so naturally, as natural as the sky. And it's that which nothing can be given to or taken away from. It's that which has no inside or outside. You can just see arising from being this concept of outside, this concept of outside, outdoors, out of body, and inside, indoors, in body, seeing how their concepts and the direct experience is wide open, pure isness. You can see arising, similar to the fountain, arising these thoughts that suggest division. And one thing I love to do is notice where identification's happening. That sense of being separate or being in relationship with someone, how does that come to us? It comes in the form of an image. Sometimes there's an image of what I might look like. An image that has an outline that says I'm here and somehow the rest of the world is out there. Or the image of another person in the mind. Think of someone you love or you're in relationship with or even someone you're in conflict with. They come in the form of an image. And then there's thoughts about it. I love this person. I would like to do something or engage with this person or withdraw. And we see that it's the realm of concepts. So there's images, there's sensations and feelings, there's thoughts, and they flow and they move. And then somehow the appearance of identification happens where we say that image is a me. That appearance is a me. That feeling is a me. That image, that thought, that feeling is a you, is a separate person. And you can just see how from pure isness, the way that it arises, and again, not to fight it, not to resist it, but in the most playful way, in the most friendly way, just, wow, look at that. There's identification, the idea of identifying. There's concepts. There's a movement to believing a concept and taking it as reality. And in seeing that, they can relax. They don't need to. And then we're home here in pure being. In other words, for me, being in my quiet room or on the meditation cushion, it doesn't always bring up what being in relationship brings up at work or with friends or intimate relationships. It brings up emotions I didn't know I had. It brings up reactions, memories. So relationships are really a bringing out of things that are unconscious and brings them into the light and often the problem that comes up or a conflict it's not about that problem or conflict itself the idea for me is not to solve that conflict I'm seeing the deeper opportunity to notice what this is bringing up in me so that I can observe it so that I can touch it with awareness I can touch it with love I can allow it to emerge and run its course naturally and I see that it integrates 
rather than being something to push down or something I'm not aware of. Wow, look what came up. And then it, it flows into and becomes absorbed into awareness. There's also so much projection. I can see many times in the workplace, for example, I supervise many people and I have bosses that, su that supervise me. And when a situation is charged and you're feeling a strong emotion, I've found in my experience that it's indicating something in me that is still to be met or met more deeply. And I look at an opportunity that arises to see how that thing that brought the charge is also a thing that's in me. The thing that was most upsetting, the thing that felt foreign and wrong and off is something mirroring back to me my own version of those emotions or that point of view to be integrated because ultimately that person is my own self. That person is made of awareness itself, made of the substance of isness, of being. There's not separation there. It appears as separation. It appears as a relationship between two. But just as in a dream, all the dream characters are aspects of the dreamer. And in the, quote, world, all the characters we come into contact with are aspects of this self. And so it's an opportunity for the self to experience itself in these unique ways because of the infinite multiplicity and diversity of characters and situations that arise within us. If God is everything and everything is God, not only are we the thing that holds a whole perception of reality, but we create it. Yet, if everything's God, why do we feel the need to change anything? Why do we feel the need to perfect what is inherently perfect? Who are we fighting against? It's only ever ourselves. This quote comes from Shivananda Saraswati. It was when I'm sure the man's name was Dr. Thompson. And he was an American, I think, but definitely a, a Western psychologist who was visiting India, doing that, that typical thing that people were doing in the 50s and 60s of traveling around to see all the different saints. And he was posing actually the question that Swami Vivekananda posed to his guru, Ramakrishna, which was, have you seen God? And Shivananda answered, I see God everywhere, in the trees and in the birds, in the river, in the animals and plants, in every person I meet. I even see him in front of me now, sir. Mm. There is nothing but God. The more you realize that like everything is God, there's nothing but God, the more you realize that there is no need to search. It's there if you care to look. If you care to, to see it and accept it, it'll teach you everything you could ever need to know. Just as I said to somebody the other day, just take your handle off the tiller, free wheel for a while, and you'll find how easy and plentiful and interesting your life becomes. It's the very need or perceived need, desire, to steer that gets you off the path. Yeah, so the word outlook in the earliest sense means a place from which an observer looks out or watches anything. As an individual, you're looking out, always looking out. And even when you look within, you feel like you are a point of focus, a point of awareness. It's a very narrow, incredibly narrow view, a blinkered view as you said, but there is this possibility of a new outlook. Your outlook grows, it expands, it seems to expand. So you're no longer this kind of little awareness or a personal awareness, you are awareness itself. You actually view the viewpoint, don't you? It's, how is that possible? And this is why self-inquiry 
leads to not an answer, not a conclusion, but the disillusion of a need for one, a need to find a final self, a final outlook, a final viewer, a final witness. You never find a final witness because you are the ultimate witness and you are indefinable and unfindable in objective experience. Even the most neutral of definitions, self-concepts, will ultimately lead to suffering. Where there's suffering, there's limitation, there's a false viewpoint, and the fact that it causes suffering, there's wisdom in that. Like In a way, like it should cause suffering, because that suffering is saying, no, you're more than this. You're more than this. You're limiting yourself. Nagina, Brahman, without any attribute, the ultimate truth, the no thing, that's the sun and the rays of the sun are the attributes, you know, that explosion of seeming form, seeming variety, the truth of what they have exploded or expanded from is that. It's about a, a a shift of outlook or a shift of perception that all of these seeming forms, this saguna, is one thing. It comes from one place. All things, all happenings, all attributes, all forms are from this one source. If we lose the desire to limit and label and pigeonhole everything, then there's nothing but that <laughs> and yet I am everything and I am nothing seem totally contradictory in reality the truth is both and all it's our limitations of our language that form how we conceptualize everything you were saying some people define the shakti as maya and it's it reminded me of like, you know, the Sankhya system that sort of Raja yoga or Hatha yoga and uh, also that the Bhagavad Gita is pretty much based on the idea of Purusha, which is the, the ultimate reality, and Prakriti, which is nature, the best definition of it. But the truth is both is all, you know, Prakriti, just like you were saying about Shakti, it's the creative energy of the purusha of the oneness of the of the beingness without that spark and that safety and that purity and that abundance you couldn't have the panoply the the vast diversity that there is to experience but again it's our it's our perception of our body our ego not being part of it we look out of the window at nature and we forget that we're nature too. It's like that, that small step away from the, the blinkered, closed view of needing to be fixed or worked on, that little step away. And it's so interesting to see how life teaches us, to see how we deal with different situations and things that a few years ago could have caused so much thinking and worry and anxiety, you realize it's, it's just another thing that's happening. Let's, let's see what happens. And you have that little buzz of excitement about things rather than that heavy weight of fear, you know? In Ramana Maharshi's realization story, he says he feels this current I often wonder if that current is like that buzz of excitement that every child feels, you know, about a new prospect, especially as a small child, the new is exciting and wonderful. That's the key. Life is full of the new and the exciting and the wonderful. It's not there to get you, you know, it's not the, it's not the adversary. It's not your enemy. It's your best friend. And letting go, what you're simply doing is, is if you're, it's like if you're holding a bag, it's not like you need to start throwing these bags away. That's a doing. You just simply got to keep 
you just got to cease putting in the effort to hold on to it and it falls away on its own. <laughs> and so that isn't so much ego focused. I mean, if you think about it that way, it's just a, it's a ceasing to do and not putting any more effort to hold and then trying to uh, align or accord with it is to deviate. And w when the futility of it is deeply seen, you kind of give up. We don't really need to assign a who to who's giving up. I mean, basically there's a tension and the tension relaxes. And we don't have to get, we'll go, well, who relaxed the tension? Eh, it was the tension and tension relaxed. <laughs> yeah, we always want to try to assign a, a, a pronoun or a noun to it. Mainly because that's, we're just kind of caught in the illusion of conventions of speech, you know, because well, some people will say, well, if, if something's done, there's a doer. There's always that doer or feeler or thinker. And all you're, all you're really simply saying is every verb's got to be preceded by a noun. But there are no nouns in reality. And so, you know, at some point, you just you also kind of let go of the idea of who. There doesn't have to be a who. There can be a doing. There can be a choosing. There doesn't need to be a doer or a chooser. There doesn't need to be an identifier, an identifier or someone to claim it. It can just be that takes over and that's the same in spiritual practice it's the same in anything in life we always know what the right thing to do is but our our self-interest in this body in our ego makes us go well no because if i if i do ten thousand repetitions of japa then I've done 10,000 repetitions of japa and that, that means something towards spiritual progress. If I can sit silently for two hours, then that means I'm loads better than I was a year ago when I could only do it for 30 minutes. And yet all of these practices, all of these things are just a doing that's tied up with our, our body-mind complex. Whereas the truth... The purity is always there. We're just competing to get away from it. We seem to make it difficult. <laughs> it's actually incredibly simple. A, p a thing P Peter Brown used to say quite a lot was um, try and turn this off. Try You're experiencing now. Try and turn it off. <laughs> it's quite a good inquiry, I found. Because you can't, it's already happening it kind of undercuts that feeling that I'm making this happening, which is a really subtle, I think it goes really quite deep, that feeling, that I'm somehow making this moment happen, that I'm doing this moment somehow, that actually it's already there. It's like an afterthought that kind of claims that it's doing the moment, which we then latch onto as a sort of for a feeling of safety or something. I don't know what that is, but um, this moment is already happening. It's, so it's, when you get really simple with it, you start to be able to appreciate that's the case already. And there's a kind of relaxing into it naturally. It's a kind of feeling of like how sleep happens naturally, letting it happen. It just happens. It does itself. It's just a, you just relax into it. You don't think I'm going to manufacture some sleep now. I'm going to work my way into sleep. It just happens. And, uh, when you notice that this is already happening, that presences or awareness or whatever name you want to give this ineffable, substanceless, sentient substance, <laughs> um, the fact it's already here, once you recognize that, you, you just sort of relax into it and realize, okay, I don't need to make this happen. I, it's always here. This is always my anchor. It's always absolutely safe and present. And... It's just a case of not allowing your assumptions and interpretations to tell you what that is. Not going for your cartoon world of separate objects and events and people and things and going to the direct experience of this inseparable event. And um, you can do that going via the senses that's that's a great a great routine just going direct experience not thinking about your experience not thinking about like different parts of the body or anything like that just feeling i like what you said it's not just a relaxation of the body and the mind it's like a relaxation of the concepts the ideas relaxation of the story a full 
spectrum relaxation you know it's not just some bodily re relaxation but the reason that feels good when you do that or feels right is because that's truth when you once you let go of all the stories and the concepts and the thoughts that are rejecting this current moment the that i've then believed in ends up as like a tense tenseness in the body if this moment is allowed to be exactly what it is which is actually the truth of what is here now if you realize that then the body automatically relax relaxes it is a noticing of what's here it's a never-ending noticing you notice more and more of your experiences actually already taken care of it is more difficult to see through the illusion of me when there is a deep belief in it unquestionably and uninvestigated and so you know if there was any glimpse of seeing what you might be other otherwise it might be discounted and that gets into another aspect of letting go as a lot of the uh content and and knowledge because um all this past experience that we hold on to gets in a way from seeing what is now as it is and that's where you get into other practices of letting this stuff go like uh in zen mind beginner's mind where you're trying to adopt a beginner's mind and you're just letting all this past stuff go so you can see things fresh an anew and see what what you know what new things can you see because uh coming from the standpoint of of i know what it is usually means you're not really looking at it anymore but if you come from the standpoint of i don't know well then you're open to seeing new things <laughs> but yeah letting go it all comes down to mostly letting go of this accumulated mass of <laughs> belief and concept and everything else we've acquired through life and you have to just delve into the moment into the very essence of the moment the moment is you you are the now and the very absence of obstacles will cause reality to rush in it just shines forth because you give it a chance, because you're not distracted, because you're not interested in other things. You give your interest wholeheartedly to what is already immediate. And that reminds me of one of my favorite Ramana quotes. He says, find out what is immediate and intimate instead of trying to find out what is distant and unknown. So you hear about what you truly are and instantly the mind will go, well, that, that must be distant i don't know it and it must be some it must be distant it must be something that i will attain so what is immediate now beyond thought what's most immediate yeah the simplicity of presence what is presence presence is this presence is this isness this suchness of the only moment there is this is a perpetual endless moment and it has nothing to do with time. Because often we think about presence and we associate it with time. It's the present moment as opposed to the previous moment, as opposed to the next moment. But a presence has nothing to do with time. Presence is this here-ness, is this now-ness. The only here-ness, the only now-ness. Presence is absolute. It's not dualistic. It doesn't have an opposite. It's not relative. Presence is not the space around an object or around you, an individual. Presence absolutely saturates, permeates everything and everything is made of presence. Like the very nature of all things is this presence we're pointing to. It's not presence and that which is present. There's only presence because presence is absolute. The word absolute means unrestricted, free from limitation, complete free from imperfection, not relative to something else. And like you said, if you just get really simple, just here now, you know, it is self-affirming. It's knowable because it's all you know. It's just how, how hypnotic the mind is and how strong that pull is to, towards having to do something to make something. It's the kind of mental formulations and the efforts that feels like it's some that's this kind of pseudo intuition that makes it feel like that's the right way to go 
But actually what it does is that's the only thing <laughs> that seems to veil the absolute presence that's here already. <laughs> it's the only, Because then you're just, you're viewing presence through these kind of like this, this lens of storylines and narrative and, and they're just um, kind of intellectualizations and concepts. So the simpler you can get with what's here now, the better really for appreciating this. It's always here regardless of whether you're being complicated or being simple, but it's easier to appreciate it when you're being very approaching it very simply. It's difficult to imagine <laughs> how simple this is because you can't imagine it, in fact, because it's already, what is already here? What is already absolutely here? It's already here. You don't, there's no thoughts pattern that you can go to to make it appear. It's already here. That's noticing the thought pattern. That's noticing the feelings. Not as an effortful thing. It's already there noticing. It's, it's how you know you're alive. It's how you know you're sentient. It's how you know you're aware in any sense whatsoever. It's not the thinking of knowing that you're alive. It's not the thinking that knowing you're sentient. It's not those thoughts. It's that this moment is happening at all. It's that you're aware at all. Why is it that we feel so dissatisfied despite where we feel we've got to in our life, in this dream? Why is it that we feel, still feel so incomplete, fundamentally lacking, despite owning what we own? Why is it that we feel we have to keep striving, climb the ladder, improve ourselves? self-improvement, home improvement. There's wisdom in that dissatisfaction. It's a bit of a nudge by our true self saying, this isn't it. It's not going to bring true happiness, true contentment, true equanimity, true fulfillment. And then we're like, ah, no, I'll get it anyway. <laughs> and then you get it and then you have this temporary relief. And it is relief. It isn't fulfillment, it's relief. For a short time, there's a sense of disillusionment, a sense of not searching. So you start to relax. You associate that state with the acquired thing. But really, it's because you've stopped searching for the thing. It has nothing to do with the object. You've simply stopped searching and you get a taste of the natural state right there because you relax, you let go of this fraught attempt to reunite with yourself. You get a, a taste of the nectar of being, of being yourself, no longer estranged from yourself. Because you have an idea of God, you have an idea of what the divine is, what you've read in books, let go of all of it. Because the divine God, infinity, isn't what you think it to be it's not it's not something you read about it is a lived experience you are it so you can't possibly read about it and try and interpret it you can just be it and see it as it is this agadata in i am that said identity is not lost only its limitations are lost it is transfigured and becomes the real self the sadguru the eternal friend and guide. You are actually qualityless you, because you can't describe what you are. Reality is way beyond any story the mind can tell. So you are indefinable. Yet there is that no thingness expressing itself as thingness, expressing itself as the sense of self. What is that sense of a, a separate self, the ego? What is it? It is a bunch of distortions of more fundamental qualities. Those distortions take the distortion of insecurity. I'm the one who is insecure. I experience insecurity and that's part of who I am it, and defines my life and my search, my seeking. That insecurity actually points to a fundamental truth of safety, an unconditional safety, which is just built into your true nature. And then it gets distorted, recognizing that, oh, I'm not the one who is insecure. Then that belief naturally dissolving, that brings 
into experience the quality of unconditional safety and you recognize that that is a quality of your deeper nature that's just one example so the ego is just a bunch of distortions of these truer qualities so when that expansion that decontraction happens from dissonance to resonance the patterns that make up the sense of me either relax transmute like alchemizing base metal into gold insecurity into safety or they may dissolve altogether either way there's no longer this narrowness this contracted distorted dissonant self Here's another quote by Nisargadatta. Suffering warns us that the structure of memories and habits, which we call the person, is threatened by loss or change. Suffering is due entirely to clinging or resisting. It is a sign of our unwillingness to move on, to flow with life. A saintly life is free from suffering. The essence of saintliness is total acceptance of the present moment harmony with things as they happen a saint does not want things to be different from what they are he knows that considering all factors they are unavoidable he is friendly with the inevitable and therefore does not suffer pain he may know but it does not shatter him if he can he does the needful to restore the lost balance or he lets things take their course.